You're listening to the Tag Team Podcast, the podcast that is a WWE Network companion, currently covering 1984 WWF Tuesday Night Titans. And now here are your Tag Team Podcast hosts, Jeff Jones and John Burke. What it is, I'm John Burke. Jeff Jones, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. What you been up to? What you got planned? What's going on? Well, we have a plan to go to the lake this weekend. Ah, the lake. It could be a great time. It could be a horrifying time. This wouldn't be Crystal Lake, would it? Uh, it is not. Good deal. It could have been, though. Huh. They could have renamed it. That's a possibility. Oh, that would have been probably good and bad for tourists. I don't know. It just depends what you're out there looking for, I guess. I think as long as you leave at nighttime, I think you're fine. Yeah, it's seems to be. I don't know. Tourism. But yeah, we plan on staying for the weekend and hopefully being back Monday or Tuesday. Are you leaving on Friday? We are leaving on Friday. This could still spell trouble. Watch out. I don't think it's going to be the 13th. Though. I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't matter. It could be October. No. It's July. I don't know. Just watch out for hockey mask and potato bag wearing people that have lost their mom. I will note that and I will be sure to bring my own hockey mask. That would be a change for the franchise. Very good. I think if he forgets to show up, I think I can stand in. There you go. That worked on too. Give people something to do anyway. Make sure people on their toes. You also might want to bring Corey Felton with you. I heard he's pretty good at taking out stuff like that. I thought he was the one with the psychic lady. I think she did most of the work. I don't know. I think him as a tag team, but I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, I don't have those powers though, like she did. Oh, dang, man. I don't know what to tell you. Just good luck and bring slow people with or you. Or throw people behind me. Yes. And make sure you're likable. It'll last long. Likable? Yeah, I know it'll be a stretch, but... Well, now you're asking a lot. <laughs> I didn't plan on being social. <laughs> but hopefully, if all goes well, we will have a podcast from the lake. Looking forward to it. Live on location with the lake. Screams may be included. Ah, yes. That's my major deal. I did pick up Friday the 13th a video game a couple days ago. Awesome. And what would you rate that on a scale of 1 to Jason? Uh, I'll be a Chucky. Eh, that's not too bad, at least. No, it's a multiplayer, online-only game. Uh, I don't really like those. I don't like it. buying something that you can only play online, because your servers aren't going to up forever. I feel you on that. I fell for that a couple times before. I got some stuff I never played because it was online and cheap, and then they took it offline, and that's why it was cheap. Yeah, I'm not a fan, but they did real good about doing updates and keeping everything legitimate as they can, so I'm okay with it so far. Eh, well, hopefully it maybe grows and maybe they'll release a patch where you can play it and it doesn't have to be online. Nah, I think online's the selling point because you have to work with others ugh, to <laughs> defeat Jason and actually get out of the house just as they did in the movies. I get enough of working with others at work. I don't want to do that at home. Well, maybe these people will be useful. <laughs> Jeff Jones for all your hate email <laughs> and today tag team podcast. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Yeah, anyway, I didn't say that. We can move on. All right. Episode 10. Previously on the Tag Team Podcast. Tuesday Night Titans. Episode 10. We open up with Vince McMahon and Lord Alfred Hayes. And Vince McMahon says that Lord Alfred Hayes curbed Winston Churchill's dog. Wasn't really sure what that meant. It is interesting. And you'll have to have listened or listen to the episode to figure out what that means. Teaser. Next, we had Iron Mike Sharp versus Steve Gray as a go-to match. Special ending on that. And we do learn about Steve Gray as well. And then next we move to Iron Sharp joining the TNT set with Vince and Lord Alfred Hayes. And we do see that he is supporting those 20-inch baby pythons. And we do learn that he 
needs some python powder to get those babies on up not as up as Hulk Hulk. next Amy McMullen joins the set and she is our news editor and decides to write nasty things about Mr. Wonderful we figure out Mr. Wonderful's real name and we find out that her next target or uh, her next article is going to be Jesse the Body Ventura next we move to a match with Kim Patera versus Tony Guerrero not sure how they got those two together Patera Guerrero the rhyme it's mainly strength versus agility in that match uh, next we get to see our favorite Big John Studd joining the TNT studios and cheers of the crowd were of Andre not so much of Boozer Yays which was very interesting and then they cut to a match with Big John Studd versus Bob Marcus and if you don't know who Bob Marcus is we didn't either but he did sell very well for Big John Studd during the match which obviously Big John Studd beat him as he was two times as tall and two times as big as Bob Marcus next we move to Lord Alfred Hayes and the viewer mailbag which this one was not as violent as the other after that we had George Scott join the TNT set and he is the nostalgia part of the segment and we learned that he had been wrestling since he was 13 and that he did it professionally finally when he was of age as of 18 next we had Cowboy Bob Orton join the TNT set and he did not have a cast but he did have Chew so I guess that makes up for it and it does show a match with Cowboy Bob Orton versus Pat Patterson and Vince did say that Cowboy Bob Orton did have a little bit of Pat Patterson's trunks in his hands almost as if he took them off and Cowboy Bob Orton replied with yep and I put him right back on nothing going on there <laughs> as you laugh for no reason <laughs> Next, Cowboy Bob Orton shows us how to saddle a horse as he brings his horse on stage. And after that, we see that Lord Alfred Hayes is a natural John Wayne, has managed to get Lord Alfred Hayes up on the horse, and Vince McMahon gets more than his feel. Next, we have the WWF review segment with a bunch of different clips, and mainly it was focused on B. Brian Blair. Next up, we have our favorite boat maker, Salvatore Bilamu, and he is still. <laughs> and we do see whenever he joins the stage and he sits down he does look a little lost still very very soft-spoken <laughs> until finally one of the production staffs asks him to speak up and Vince finally yells at him to speak up and then we cut to a match with Salvatore Balombo versus Bob Backlund and if you were to view that match you, you should say that he should just stick with building boats because he did horrible in that match after that Mr. Balombo cooks some real Italian food and he didn't have anybody to help him he actually went out there and he cooked it himself with Vince and Lord Alfred Hayes after that we cut to the last scene of the episode where we have Vince, Alfred, and Salvatore Belambu eating some Italian food. And we did notice that the pizza was hot. That was episode 10. And this is episode 11, October 2nd, 1984. I didn't see it on YouTube, so I guess YouTubers need to get with it and start uploading more clips and putting this stuff up there so the people that can afford $9.99 a month can watch it for free. Sharing is caring, folks. We're do some. Um, territory Talk, Jeff. I am. Let's talk about it. Let's talk May 1984 timeline with territories. Territory. Wrestling territories. And for you youngsters <laughs> out there, wrestling territories is something that may be foreign to you, but at one time in the United States alone, there were 25 or 30 wrestling territories that were headquartered around the country. 
Last time on Territory Talk, we talked about Mid-South, which later became Universal Wrestling Federation. And we also talked about Universal Wrestling Federation as it was not copyrighted. And two other territories or promotions picked it up, one of them being Japan. This time, we're going to talk about Texas. Bosley, if you will. Forget this crap, I got my own commercial now. I'm not doing this petty sh** without being paid more. I'm out of here. Later, ass. Or if you won't, let's go to commercial. Hi, I am Bosley and I am here with Hulk Hogan. Hulk, thanks for being part of this promo for the new Tag Team Podcast Shop campaign. Sure, no problem. For each shirt or item sold, a portion goes to the Tag Team Podcast to help fund the web bandwidth cost. We have shirts starting at $24.49. Wow, that's unbelievable. If you sold all those shirts, where's my percentage? Hulk, you don't get a percentage. Some of the money goes to the Tag Team Podcast since they are their shirts. Those are my shirts. I've got a right to sell them. Do you want to cash me outside how about that? That's not what I want. Look man, I made a mistake. I apologize. I was a real horse's ass. That's what I thought. To visit the Tag Team Pod Shop, go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash the Tag Team Pod Shop, all one word, or click on the link in the description of this podcast or on the side of the web page. Do it, brother. I guess I blew that one. It's okay, Hulk. Our listening audience are used to it. That's for damn sure. So, I guess Bosley is not with us for right now, so no territory talk. Um, did you pay him this week? I did show off the pink and the yellow for our Bosley man that I was able to do. I thought he liked our monopoly money that we were paying him. I think maybe we should have stuck to one color. I think he's getting smart that money doesn't usually come in two different colors in the U.S. Well, he's still over in the U.K., right? Yeah, I think it would have helped if we would have paid him in the same color consistently. Do you think the man with the monocle kind of gave it away? Possible. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't give him any peanuts. No, he was making pretty good Monopoly money, I thought. I thought we had a good thing going. Yeah, I think he'll be back in the end. They usually all come back. To quote Vince McMahon? Exactly. Maybe we can hire him back and make him do dirty stuff. (laughs) Um, Take that however you want. (laughs) You know, do the harder territories and all that mess. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm not sure where you were going with that. (laughs) Those harder, dirty territories of Texas. That's right. It's going to be a hell of a coverage there for Texas. We might need him after all. Yeah, we'll probably have to pay double Monopoly money for that. I mean, double U.S. standard currency for that. Yeah, I think that we should start applications and see if we can get any takers. Yeah, if we don't hear back from Bosley, we might have to have some fill-ins for a little while. So look forward to job interviews, I guess. That sounds like fun. Love interviews. Well, that sort of killed that, I guess. Let's do some recapping. Episode 11, Tuesday Night Titan. Titans, October 2nd, 1984. We're joined by Vince and Lord Alfred Hayes. You remember what they call this time? If I recalled it correctly, they were sad that Princess Diana's baby was not named after Lord Alfred Hayes. You're correct, sir. And that he felt that Harry was still a good name, though. Don't it make you feel old to know that Harry is married now? Yes, I was about to just ask you the same thing. And has his own kid. <laughs> okay. 
Yes, the future. I'm depressed. <laughs> Thank you for joining the Tag Team Podcast, Thunderjammer. And up first on the red carpet of TNT, we actually go outside the studio for a change. It's Mean Gene and future down the road of the segment, Adrian Adonis, going off to Murdoch land to visit Murdoch's side of the state. Go out there in Texas. Good old Mean Gene to the rescue. Mean, I'm always lost. Can't wait for GPS to be invented, Gene. So we get out and we see Mean Gene at the first stop that he makes because it appears he get out there and he does get lost. It's a big ranch. I'll give him credit for that. And I guess it is easy to get lost. We see that he's asking for directions if he knows who Dick Murdoch is and where to find him. The guy says, you need to turn around and go the other way that you went too far up. And I believe Mr. John Burke has found a couple errors in this first scene already getting started in Tuesday Night Titans. A little bit of continuity. If you look on our webpage, you will see there's a microphone that just comes into play. So it just kind of breaks the belief, makes you disbelieve when you kind of see a, a microphone nudge towards Mean Gene so you can hear him ask the question. So you just kind of have to ignore it and move on, basically. And that we do. And we move to the next stop, and he asks another guy who was, I believe he was working on the fence. Yeah, it's hired help, apparently. Uh, and he asks him, dude, does he know who Dick Murdoch is? And he says, yes, he's the meanest guy ever. But he's not here. He he believes he is on the other side of the pasture with the horses. So off we go. Stop number three. Stop number three, the kids and the horse that doesn't like microphones. Me and Gene tried to ask the kids a question if the newer Dick Murdoch was and that horse saw that microphone coming and it said, ah, I guess it's been beaten by microphones before. Probably. This is a very zoo-tastic episode of Tuesday Night Titan, I may say so. There is a lot of animals. Some were not harmed in the making of this episode. Some are lucky to be alive in the making of this episode, but we will touch on those for sure. <laughs> so eventually, Mean Gene does find Murdoch, thanks to the kids, and he gets on a horse and does it a little bit better than our next guest, which would be Adrian Adonis. We see him out in the middle of the dirt road, looking lost out there on the dirt road, and we hear him start to say to the camera, Where am I? No cabs. I'm out of gas. What would I give for a yellow cab? Where's Murdoch? Murdoch, there's the only thing that grows in this place is dirt. What the hell am I doing out here? Cows? There's not even any cows around here. They nags. What I wouldn't give for a subway system now. New York City, this ain't daddy. Oh, man. Where are you, Dick Murdoch? I'm not sure if he means nags or gnats, but I don't know. Either one's pretty accurate, I guess. But apparently he's not much for the country. He wasn't ready. That's what we'll say. That's what I tell a lot of people that try to come to my house. You weren't ready for the trip. <laughs> too far out of civilization. He ain't having it. He doesn't like it. But we do see Adrian Doss does finally find a truck that was willing to pick him up and take him to find Dick Murdoch, which I believe if I'm looking at everything, it looks like maybe Dick Murdoch has a compound and maybe those are all of his hired help on that road. Maybe. It seems like that. He said he had like 12 miles that way, four miles this way, six miles the other way. So yeah, apparently it is the Dick Murdoch compound for sure. Adrian Doss attempts to get into the truck of the front seat which is where champions ride in the front they don't ride in the back and there's chicken poo all over the front seat and he decides it's better for him to hop in the back instead of the front riding shotgun and kids don't try that at home and off they go to find Dick Murdoch and then we cut into Mean Gene and Murdoch walking to his home and once he goes in we find him at a bar and walking through the bar we see a picture of the Duke John Wayne's on his wall and we find out that Dick Murdoch sees John Wayne 
as his idol. And then they go back outside in the field where Adrian finally decides that it's time to catch up with everybody. Gene Murdoch and Adrian get involved in a cattle roundup. And Murdoch teaches Adrian Adonis how to properly rope a steer. This is where PETA should turn away. They were trying to bulldog that poor bull and it was having no part of it. And I never knew a bull's head could turn to that degree and not snap off. It was almost like at a 180 degree turn and it was just not going down like they wanted it to. Picture an owl, the way it turns its head all the way around. That's how that cow's head was turned, which is actually normal because once the head goes far enough around, the cow will automatically roll over, obviously for health and safety (laughs) concerns, but it doesn't look pretty at all. No, it does not. But eventually they get it down, takes two of them, and we learn that Adrian's a little bit better at roping a wooden steer than he is at (laughs) trying to bulldog a real one. And then we go to Adrian attempts to mount a horse. Too bad Vince McMahon isn't there to give him a helping hand on that first run, which we do have a gif of Mr. Adonis promptly going up to get on the horse and promptly exiting the horse in one solid motion. This is American's Funniest Home Videos type of work, and it was great. They probably could have learned a thing or two from Mean Gene, who didn't seem to have as much trouble, even though he was in a suit and nicer tire all around than Mr. Adonis. He just didn't know where he was going. Yep, I think that could possibly have come into play. Next up, we have Bobby the Brain Heenan's long-awaited debut. He comes onto the set, brags about himself, and they go to a match in Minnesota, which is kind of a slap to Vern Gagne. And only did Bobby the Brain just come from the AWA, which resides in Minnesota. He's going to go back for his debut as the manager for Big John Studd. And while on the TNT set, we learned that he's not a very liked person, as when he first entered the stage, the booze, the many, many booze. But we learned also that he's used to it, because ever since he was a young boy, people were very jealous of him due to him having everything. He was always the smartest person, never did homework, always got hundreds. And that's why Bobby claims he is the brain, due to him taking Ham and Eggers, which are horrible wrestlers, and making them into wrestling stars, not like they do now. I have to object for Ham and Eggers. That's one of my favorite tag teams. <laughs> that's why they're stars. Exactly. And now he is managing Big John Studd, and they have talked, and the brain is wanting to guide him to championship glory. I was trying to figure out in my back of my head, and I wish I knew why George the Animal Steel was in the ring. Was that poor Big John Studd's opponent? I mean, he was walking around pretty close to both of them, and they didn't look like they wanted to go after each other. Was this his tag team partner for a match? Because we know Fuji was his manager, and that would make him a heel at the time. So I was really trying to figure out, what's the storyline that I'm seeing in front of me? But then I just said, move on. I did the same. I noticed he was in the ring, but I figured George just got loose. (laughs) And Mr. Fuji hadn't got back to found him yet. Fuji! At least I was hoping that's the case anyway. (laughs) Yeah. He'd have had a bad day <laughs> if that would have been the case. Yep. He'd have been a really bad day. I'd have tossed some sense into him. I don't know. We go back to the set, and then Bobby the Brain Heaton explains to us why he is not a weasel. Weasel's a thing that at night sneaks into a chicken house and gets his prey. He's a thing that does things behind people's back. He's a furry little animal that crawls around the ground. He's worse than a snake. I'm not a weasel, but people think I am, like I told you before, because they're jealous of me. I have hands. I don't have paws. I don't have fur all over my body, I do not own a tail, and I do not sneak around at night and capture things. I use my mind, I use my brains, I negotiate. I sit in my man's corner and I guide him to the top. But they're jealous of me. Everybody's jealous of me. 
You're probably jealous of me. I know you're jealous of me. Famous clip. And it's also on the Bobby the Brain Heaton DVD if anyone ever goes out there and watches that from 2010. I think everything he does is about gold. Pretty much. Good motto to live by, I think. He'd be pretty successful if you go off that. Oh, that for sure. Worked for Michael Phelps. Bobby the Brain Heaton says he's not a weasel, and that prompts LAH, Lord Alfred Hayes, to do some inspirational karaoke. Half a pound of top any rice a half a pound of treacle that's the way the money goes pop goes the weasel <laughs> and we learned that lord alfred hayes is a fantastic singer up to paul vachon almost level yeah <laughs> and that america <laughs> stole that song and took some of the words and changed it around and made it fit their culture as we do with a lot of things that's what we do america yep that's what we do we made it america Next, we have Mr. Sergeant Slaughter and Smirnoff. They go to a clip of that match. And the first thing I noticed on this, there's no Terry Daniels. <gasps> I guess he was probably with him with mind and spirit, but not in body. Oh, he was definitely in spirit. Definitely. Second thing I noticed, mm-hmm. as Mr. Slaughter went around shaking hands, kissing American flags, and holding babies, that Mr. Freddie Miller was in attendance. But for some reason, on commentary for this match we only hear Vince. So another I wonder what happened there. I would like to hear that backstory of why that happened. Was it bring your lackey to work day or something? Was he shadowing Vince to see how the WWF wants their matches called even though he used to work for Georgia Championship Wrestling? And There's got to be a story there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure he just accidentally showed up. Ah, it's tomorrow? <laughs> we don't have time to move you. Just sit here hold these don't do nothing crazy i imagine how that went also did you notice whenever what you heard when sergeant slaughter did come out they played out his uh, marine corps march song that he likes to do so much that is right maybe that's what terry was doing maybe he's playing his music hey he could be the uh, music guy everybody needs a music guy yeah he moved up from flag holder to music guy Maybe that's how he's there in spirit. Spirit of the music. I think so. Did you catch any notes from the wrestling match here? Boy and how. <laughs> I saw that Mr. Slaughter got Pearl Harbored, or as Mean Gene would say, December 7th, 1941, <laughs> by Mr. Smirnoff, who was getting tired of waiting for Slaughter to shake all the hands and high-five people, which I can't say I blame him on that. If more people would do that to Paula Orndorff, he'd probably have quicker matches on his part, too. Then uh, Smirnoff throws him into the post, and I noticed that I think Slaughter Slaughter wanted this to be a bloody match, but he didn't quite get what he was looking for, so he had to tuck that away, and we'll see that a little bit later. But he looked like he was trying to already just go for the for the slicing and juicing there, but missed it, so he just played it off, and they continued their match. Yeah, I was curious what he was up to after he hit that pole, and he kind of stammered and kind of sat there for a minute. Well, yeah. did the remote controller get unplugged, or what happened? Is he going to get up and do anything? Check his forehead. A movie did a lot in this match. <laughs> That's too funny. 
fun. It was very entertaining. Slaughter summons the future and becomes Hollywood Hulk Hogan, takes his belt off and starts hoping Smirnoff with that. And as we know from WCW, that's totally legal and no disqualifications if you wore it in the beginning of the match and the ref didn't say you couldn't use it. I was going to ask you where the referee was in this match. <laughs> I guess he was still over there checking out Cheeto's match. Yeah, he was looking pretty green. He missed a lot of stuff. I think they probably would have let that slide regardless, but yeah, he missed a lot of other stuff on there where he wasn't really up to par. Looked like maybe he was new. We'll give that to him or hope that maybe he was new. That'll work. Yeah, we'll take it from there for sure. Would you see when Slaughter started making his comeback, he decided to take the American flag from that poor little person out in the ring and start mocking smearing off with the flag as if we're better than everybody else? How dare you? move. Let me take your flag and I'm just gonna kiss it and then make Smirnoff look at it as I stomp on him and, yeah. Disrespect. Disrespect indeed. Smirnoff did have some offense. He did. Got a couple of hits with his big kazak and unfortunately it wasn't enough because they did the Sergeant Slaughter cannon, which apparently we've never been privileged to see. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> he uses the Cobra Clutch. They got the win with that and then that's when the melee starts and Sergeant Slaughter goes again for second blood attempts and this time is successful after several touches to the forehead to make sure that he is indeed successful. Oh, he got hit with a boot so that, that's definitely that. A boot some would say a blade a couple of times, maybe three that I could count in this match where he goes down and jerks across his forehead, checks to see Wipe and sweat. Does it again. <laughs> sweat, sweat yeah. I tell you. <laughs> but yeah, Smirnoff does get right back up after that cannon as they've called it which does seem very effective because he does manage to get the boot out and start putting the boots to him yep. as it's been said but undoubtedly they were plastic boots because Slaughter was able to get enough energy to toss Smirnoff out of the ring like yesterday's trash and tell him America number one yeah indeed they were not your traditional wrestling boots because that would take forever to unlace and then finally take it off and then do that they just slipped right off like Santa's boot or something I don't know maybe Smirnoff needs to talk to the Sheik get the right kind of boots. Possibly so. He needs to talk to someone because, yeah, I don't think those boots are wrestling legal. I think those boots were made for walking. They weren't made for wrestling. I know that. No, definitely not. Next up, we got B. Brian Blair and he came to give Vince, if you will, a complisult. He complimented him on the show, said he likes it, and insults him by saying his grandmother also likes it. You know, my grandmother, I'm real proud of my grandparents. They're uh, very close to me and she watches the show. She's not really into violence and sports too much, but she really enjoys this show because there's always a variety of entertainment. There's always something different. Something unusual is always happening, and it's always good to see a show like that where you can sit back and watch and never know what's going to happen. So I'm not sure that's a demographic that Vince is trying to go for 80 to 90-year-old women. I don't know. Maybe it is. I think that's what you call a backhanded compliment. Yeah, for sure. Compliment insult right there. Great show. My grandma likes it. <laughs> wow. You know, I actually put it down. But I had a neighbor that looked just like him when I was growing up. Maybe it was him. I don't know. Did he ever have any short shorts that looked like bee stripes that were yellow, black, and yellow, like a bumblebee? No. Okay. No, he was a coach. Probably not him then. But did he coach no. wrestling? Did he coach amateur wrestling? It's a possibility because I think whenever they coached baseball and softball, they just kept on coaching. I think it was one of those Twilight Zone episodes you couldn't get out of. You got to do baseball, and then you got to do softball, and then you got to do T 
ball and then football starts up and then soccer is going so i think it was just an endless loop of coaching so it's very possible that he may have coached some sort of amateur wrestling in the high school we'll say then it's plausible that it could possibly be b brian blair as your neighbor then very possible but b brian blair did have the second most entertaining set on tnt titans he did indeed they first go to a match with b brian blair and spike humpner and this is the second time we got to see mr spike at least this time he gets a win out of it but i'm sure he didn't feel like it after this match he was mostly the beating target for the moon dogs until he could finally tag in mr b brian blair who comes in to save his hide and get the win do you have any other notes for this i do do you know the rumor of spike i think that is enough not this spike now <laughs> i can tell you about spike dudley spike network but no not spike humpner rumor is i'm not one to spread rumors <laughs> just about what i researched that spike had actually married bruiser brody's daughter michelle and once they got divorced the bruiser pretty much blackballed spike completely out of the wrestling business completely once they got divorced hmm that's what i'd tell people if they saw that match too but plausible but watching this match i'd say it just wasn't that good but i'll go with that yeah the moon dolls kind of remind me of the bushwhackers just less entertaining yeah and they got away with some twin like magic with this referee he didn't see a couple of tags because <laughs> yes. they kind of look a little bit alike and their weird hairstyle and they're at least smart enough to know they're a tag team and they should wear similar attire unlike mr b brian blair and spike who went solo in their match in their attire <sighs> Gotta love them. <laughs> yes. Traditional match. You had your blind tags. Ref didn't see it. Tag didn't count. Ref doesn't see the heels tag, but he still lets them in. And then the late hot tag to the teammate that's been in the corner forever. And he comes in and cleans house and wins with a weird but crazy rope bounce on which uh, the moon dogs miss and hit each other. And that's how he wins. So it wasn't really a great clean finisher type move. It was oops, we messed up and we got pinned. Yeah, there was nothing good or clean about that match. No, not at all. And we get some more retribution after the bell for the heels. Definitely. Break out the bones. But credit to the referee, when you got two Santa Clauses in there, it is hard <laughs> to keep up with who's who. Two Santa Clauses with yellowish white hair. Not bleach blonde, it's yellowish white. Yeah, I don't hate the referee too terribly much for that. You know, Brian Blair warned I was really afraid the way that match was going that he was going to lose and be another Palumbo had the losing match. Palumbo had a losing match against Big John Studd, and then, of course, our Paul Vachon also had a losing match. Yeah, but Bree Blair has had the worst of it as far as overall. He's lost to Mr. Paul, I think, twice. I think he might have won one match so mm-hmm. far in the tag match. For B. Blair. Yeah, not getting the good record on TNT. But he does get a chance to redeem himself after the commercial break. In the awkward moment of the night. Very. Well, not the most awkward moment. I, I did find another one. So we get B. Brian Blair showing us amateur wrestling versus pro wrestling with some of his neutral positions and how the scoring differs and some of the moves that you can do and can't do both and things like that. I had no comment the first little while on this. I wasn't really entertained, I guess you could say, as Seamus would say. We are not entertained. Yeah, there was weird stuff. Uh, But toward the end, it got 
really interesting. Thank God, or thank Brian Blair, whoever. <laughs> Thankfully, it got very interesting for us, the viewers, as towards the end of the demo, Brian Blair starts talking about how you can't slap and you can't give forearms to the other opponent because it's illegal. Then he starts demonstrating the type of forearms and really hits him. Not just the fake stuff you see in the ring, really starts clocking him. And finally, the jobber, we'll call him, or the dummy, gets tired of it and clocks B. Brian Blair a couple times with some, you know, just some love taps, nothing crazy. And then Brian Blair loses his shit. <laughs> completely and, and throws him into a, a guillotine pinfall hold i think that's what vince calls it yeah he gets the best of him at the end there with uh, his partner there screaming out in pain it's too hard stuff i think it really started with the figure four i think that move started the slow escalation up to the five stage alarm that it turned into personally this was raw this would have a match next week but since this is tnt we'll probably see b prayer blair about three weeks from now maybe but yes that would have been a good story Yep. Where's Russo? It's material. You and Jim Cornette both have one thing answer to that question. <laughs> Next up. Moving on. We have mailbag time. And no co-hosts were hurt in the delivering of this mail. Thankfully. And he does he does catch it. But I believe you see a hand it being tossed out whenever uh, they do the mailbag segment. And I believe it's none other than Nolan Ryan, the pitcher for the Astros. Rangers. They did both. Good job sports reference yeah touchdown look at that no sports here <laughs> right i used to have their baseball cards that's the only reason i know but i do believe nolan ryan was throwing that mailbag because it, it did come pretty quick at him but luckily no co-hosts were injured even though vince mcmahon said he does believe that lord alfred hayes is used to taking it on the kisser Cafe. i was just gonna let that let that go <laughs> along with the flower from the last episode the so first question that the writers came up with is the viewers all don morocco on tnt with mr fuji and wanted to know if that is his new manager and vince says fuji's manager and and that Don Morocco hasn't been on TV because he was in the Middle East where he's a big hit at. Yes, I believe Morocco, they were on tour. Touching on what you were referring to, I believe I call he said that Morocco was on tour in the Southeast once he come back that he had enlisted Mr. Fuji as a manager. And I believe that was going to be a killer combo. As long as Don Morocco dodges the chairs, I think he'll be fine. And moving on, question number two. Writer asks that the WWF champion, we love to see, Hulk Hogan, was on TNT talking with Wendy Richter and they're wanting to know is there any romance between them or is that just Hulkamania running wild? I had to scratch my head wondering what Hulkamania <laughs> running wild meant or what exactly they were referring to. Drugs. Not sure. But Vince says that he doubts that there's much romance due to the time apart that they have and all the time that they dedicate spending on their careers that probably would likely not happen. And once again we're gypped in the mailbag segment with only two questions. Keep on watch and see if this becomes the new trend or not have no fear there is extra questions in this episode i think if alfred gets hurt there's more questions there you go make him <laughs> suffer even though he's not an american even more reason next up we have buddy rogers with our nostalgia segment he joins the tnt set and i believe we have a clip from lord alfred hayes yes explaining a little bit about buddy rogers oh his title accomplishments i took the liberty of jotting down <laughs> one or two little things here sometimes i do this do you know that Buddy Rogers held more 
Um, zone championships than any other professional wrestler. I just read these out. Pacific Coast champion, East Coast champion, Texas State champion, Rocky Mountain, Southern States, Canadian heavyweight champion. He also held the U.S. heavyweight championship for 11 years. And in the very beginning, he was the only wrestler ever to hold the WWF and the NW... What is that? The the N- yes, NWA. Titles at the same time. NWO, Alfred, for life. I think that was a jab at the NWA. Uh, what's that other organization that's out there? NWA, Alfred. A for Alfred. Get your together. F for effort, yeah. Did you notice that the same piece of paper that he was reading the questions was also the same piece of paper that he had written that little spiel? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a viewer <laughs> wrote in and said, hey, if you guys ever have Buddy Rogers on, here's a list of his accomplishments. Just let you know. Here's some trivia you could share. Yeah, exactly. Apparently they only have one notepad up in Stamford, Connecticut, and it's the same one they use for everything. That's all they need. And we also learned that he was an 11-year reigning heavyweight champion along with that as well. I don't know what zone or where at which territory he did conquer i didn't get that far into the research on it he also says that if you're not dedicated then you ain't gonna make it especially in wrestling but it does apply to anything outside of wrestling or anything you do in your life you have to be dedicated he talks about how other people had asked him about how to be a professional wrestler you know what can i do what what things do i need to do you know what do i need to study so he has actually decided to open a wrestling camp to help those wanting to start the wrestling lifestyle and to make a supplement income oddly enough but he mentions about rearing pro wrestlers and guess what we have coming up and wouldn't you know his son speaking of rearing is actually in the audience and asked him to come up on stage to demonstrate what dedication can really look like and what dedication can do shows him off like a piece of cattle where's adrian adonis when you need him oh. <laughs> Personally, I think we need to get him some python powder because his guns are a little shabby for three years of dedication. He needs to train more and say his prayers. Python powder and python pill pack. Definitely. So Vince says, put your shirt on. And finally he does. And we tried to find some information on Mr. David Rogers, but there's not too much out there. So we're guessing that he never made it to that first match. And this was a big waste of three years. R.I.P. David Rogers. R.I.P. In your career. <laughs> so next up, we have one of my favorite matches that TNT has decided to bring to my eyes. And that's Dr. David Schultz versus Steve Lombardi. Or Dr. D versus Brooklyn B. Of course, we know how this is going to end up. It was an all-black tights event, we should point out to you. Wear your black tights at this one, because if you don't, then you're not wrestling. We were treated, I think this is the first appearance on TNT of Bruno San Martino on commentary, along with Vince McMahon. Uh, yeah. Yes. I didn't catch who was commentating with him, but yes. Now that you mentioned, the voice does kind of sound familiar, so I'm going to go with yes on your final answer, yes. Brooklyn B did get a little bit of offense in, more than I thought he would get, but yeah, ultimately, Dr. D, big slam, elbow drop from the second rope was too much for him, and he gets the pinfall. It's a spinning elbow. Oh, sorry, Vince. A spinning 360 elbow of death. Yes. Make sure we're calling it like we should see it straight down 
the line. And Dr. D requests for better competition after the end of the match, but does not really take it out on Brooklyn B, unlike the last two matches. So good for him. So some restraint. Save that beating for your wife and your mama. And your mama's mama. Bring them all down. Line them up. I'll slap them all. But he wasn't in the match as aggressive, as in character, as we've seen him. So I just wonder if that's one of his first matches, one of his first house matches whenever he first got into the business. Because he didn't look as big either versus when we've seen him on the second, third episodes. I think you might have just answered two questions with one observation. Not looking as big and was a lot more calm. So no cocaine jokes. We're just going to move on. Yep. No cocaine jokes. No <laughs> side effects from the pill packs or any of that. All right. Good for you, Dr. D. Good for you. The doctor, oddly enough. Some listeners may find the following clip disturbing. Parental discretion is advised. Next up, we got the new Bobby the Heenan segment that they're entitling Hearts and Flowers. Not sure where that name came from, but that's what they called it, so that's what I'll call it. And it's basically Bobby the Brain Heenan taking questions about relationships to become love line. For the 80s. Yep, for 84. But you don't have the professional love, doctor. Nope. Yeah, you better not touch that because you're probably going to get a disease. You might want to go to the doctor. (laughs) That's the best. <laughs> yeah, it's not normal. <laughs> Those were the best ones. Anyway. First question they asked was the person that wrote in that was anonymous, but Vince says all were ladies. They were told that wrestlers make great lovers. Heenan comes back and says, yes, second best lovers in the world. And says, what is the first? Heenan says, managers. Fact. That's Fuji. <laughs> Second question that comes up. Husband is refusing to make love to her anymore, and she didn't understand why. She thinks she's still attractive, despite being 69. Not sure if that was a double entendre or not with that number, but that's the age she gave. And she wanted to know if he had any advice. He said that's a fair number, that she needs to hop off her rocker, rip off her wool shawl, take the bun out of her hair, get the corrective hoses off, and get some nice cologne on, the industrial stuff, and get the guy's attention and motivated. And he says maybe even some liquid wrench would work. And I agree with that. This next question brings up our blooper segment of TNT that we're now getting introduced to between the last episode and this one. TNT. My husband has a six inch scar on his face that really turns me off since most (laughs) bear with me since most wrestlers have scars perhaps (laughs) so eventually Vince gets the question out since most wrestlers have scars she wanted to know what she could do basically pretend like it come over as a turn off and he reply was she should probably be thankful that he has six inches of anything whether it's on his face or in the backyard or in the garage because she sounds like a very lonely lady and vince says that wrestlers do have scars point is well taken i mean 
almost every professional wrestler, I mean, you can look at your forehead, you have scars. And we learn from this episode that Sergeant Slaughter just gave himself a new scar during his match with Alex Smirnoff. So yeah, it's amazing that wrestlers all have scars on their foreheads and about the same places. Coincidence. Totally coincidental. And then he didn't finish up to say that she could always do a reverse and put a bag over his head and pretend. <sighs> I miss those witty <laughs> comebacks and those witty quick thoughts. Next up, we have Iron Cheek, and they go to a match with him and Billy Travis, or as we came to know him as Billy Joe Travis. Maybe he's only Billy Joe when he wins, and when he loses, he's Billy Travis. Spoiler. I don't have too many notes on this other than Chemical Clutch, also known as the Steiner Recliner for those old, not quite old school matches. And we noticed toward the end of the match that Cheek tries to to grab the mic for a victory speech and Fink tries to grab it away from the shink smiling as if stealing candy back from a baby that just took it which is ballsy yeah new kind of rivalry going on with Fink and Iron Sheik this is the second match where the shink was a little pissed off that he didn't get as much mic time in as he wanted but he did manage to get mic time on this one twice and what did he do to take advantage of it said the same thing twice awesome in a different language upcoming feud <laughs> yep all in his Arabic language which will be a new trend for this segment coming up as well. Wish there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. No, nothing at all. Isis, if you're listening, we love you guys. They had Vince Solo for that match as well. It was just Vince by himself, or possibly Freddie Miller held hostage again, and we just couldn't see him on camera. Did you catch the noise on this one? There is like a metal tray type noise at the 1 hour, 14 minute, 32 second mark. Something just goes clang, clang, clang. I did, and I thought they were going to do some music like live band music and i figured that that's what that was maybe st jones is back with the drums could be could be but it's not blame the animal on set for knocking something over i don't know i didn't see anything that would represent that noise but who knows what it actually was so the sheikah starts talking arabic throughout this interview and at one point i bet you probably didn't catch this but i did starts mentioning tito santana and i guess they're going to form a tag team from what I gathered. So here's what I got. So go to Iranian Mexican. Jamila, give me that Iranian Mexican. Where was that Iranian Mexican? So they're going to become the Iranian Mexicans is what I got out of that, that he's going to form a new tag team. I got... Give me the Arani magazine because I'm in the magazine. And then he holds up a book with him in the magazine. I thought he was saying magazine. No way. So go to Iranian Mexican. Mexican. Iranian Mexican. Mexican. Where was that Iranian Mexican? Who's looking for Tito Santana? Well, we'll let the listeners decide, but we know who's right. You better start looking down Cheater Alley. <laughs> So I thought it was nice that he wanted to form a tag team with Tito. And it does make sense since Tito is a cheater and so is Mr. Iron Sheik. And they had that feud in the last match where he's like, whoa, you can bring your own refs to matches? I never even thought of that. Let's do that, Tito. You got some good ideas. So I could see why they'd form a friendship. He's been hiring women to dance around. He's been doing it all wrong. Yep, exactly. He could just hire some referee. <laughs> if he get a translator, that'd be great too. Saying. Yeah, it was a brutal interview for the parts 
excerpts that he did take liberty to actually use English for. He basically shows us his famous club juggling that he likes to do, where he uses the clubs and swings them behind his back type deal, supposedly weighing 75 pounds each. He's very proud of this. He goes on for years later to always talk about it. I don't know if it's a huge deal over in Iran or if it's just something that he's always been good at or what, but to him, that's like his go-to, this is what I can do. It is major. He does mention why he demonstrates his workout, that he will pay anybody, any athlete, $20,000 if they can outdo him during his workout. If he says they can do 10, he can do 20. He's going to double it. Back then, $20,000, you might as well add like an extra zero or something to that because, I mean, this is 1984 money and it's a little bit cheaper for things back then compared to now just due to inflation and stuff. I mean, we got gas at a dollar ten a gallon. Just add an extra zero on that for comparison. At least, yeah. Still a lot of money now. I take it. Oh, yeah. Buy something nice with that. <laughs> for sure. Oh, by the way, speaking of the, the $20,000 challenge, the line doesn't start behind me. So anybody wants to step up. <laughs> By all means, feel free to step up and get your money. I'm thinking if Andre wanted it, he could probably just get the money. Yeah. I would think if anyone had a chance, Andre probably should be able to do this challenge, but something tells me he probably won't. I don't see that in his career. I don't know if they ever feuded, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm sure they did, but yeah, I don't have anything that comes to mind or off the bat, but seeing how they're both pretty big, I'm sure some house show somewhere they fought each other. Well, I'd definitely love to see that. Oh, did you notice once he got finished with his arm exercises? flailing arms that he asked the ladies to cover his shoulders with his robe and I believe it's the lady in red didn't really know how to open the robe she kind of fumbled and started smiling at him as she was kind of fumbling the robe and eventually she just threw it on his shoulders only for him to shrug it off as he laid back what an ass yeah he didn't want it on there despite saying that he wanted it on there kind of awkward and weird request I guess that's just a show oh so look they just perform on command yep exactly for no reason. They're his pets, much like our next introduction, which was Claude, or as in Arabic, some long name that apparently means Claude, I don't know. Claude is a camel, and Mr. McMahon doesn't really care for it, it seems, too much. I thought, personally, it was pretty impressive, in at least the beginning segment. It just stood there and didn't do anything, so it looked pretty good. But yeah, as the segment wore on, I think Claude was ready to take it home and started <laughs> acting up a little bit. Yes, I agree. Vince was not happy. Lord Alfred Hayes however wants to make it into a suit and put on the camel skin, so he's all down for some camel. That was the awkward moment I was referencing earlier when he said, Sheik, do you think this would make a great suit? And Vince had to quickly <laughs> intervene between the mighty Sheik and Alfred Hayes. How much do you want for suit? Because <laughs> I don't think yeah. he was very happy about him talking like that. We find out that it is his companion, is one of his best friends as they had worked and trained together ever since he was small. And he talks about some other training. Apparently he trains in desserts. Mm. So I'm guessing maybe pudding or jello. Those would be the most practical to train in as opposed to like a giant cake or donut or something like that. I don't see him as a pudding guy as much as maybe a pineapple upside down cake guy. Maybe there's an Iranian equivalent to pudding or jello. Uh, I'm not really sure on what they would have over there for desserts 
dessert. Maybe it's something totally different. He was bragging about training in dessert and 120 degree desserts. Something that had to be heated for sure, so maybe not pudding, but at any rate, he was very impressed that he could train in desserts without any water. Three days. Three, four days, I believe is what they said. Yeah, that's, I mean, okay, whatever. Do you have milk? Because, I mean, most desserts go pretty good with milk, so if you don't have water, it's understandable. Woo, didn't have water. Okay, whatever. Calm down. And did you notice that the camel was always better than Sergeant Slaughter? Well, the camel probably would bleed faster, but True. yeah, I'm guessing it would probably be a fair fight, camel versus Slaughter. I wouldn't put Slaughter down to say he's not as good as a camel, but I'd pay for that. All right, fair enough. I respect your enthusiasm. The blood comment was a little interesting. <laughs> Kind of threw me off camels guard. bleed. <laughs> Little known fact, camels can bleed. They don't mess up their gigs. Lastly, we have our weekly review, which they might as well just call the beefcake segment because it was all about Brutus the Barber beefcake and about three different matches of him. All a jip format, of course. First, we get beefcake versus everyone's favorite TNT superstar, Chief Strongbow. <laughs> and as you can imagine, it was a interesting finish. It looks like a pretty sloppy clothesline and that brought it home. Vince Solo on that commentary I could catch in that little small segment that they gave us. Next up we had Brutus the Barber Beefcake versus Jose Riviera and that was Tony Greer on commentary with Vince and he does, if anyone remembers Earthquake from the 90s, he has a big slam which the ref's like, okay, I'm gonna go down and count this and he gets back up the ref's like, oh, oh, he's not pinning him. And then he does a big earthquake off the rope, sits down on his opponents. Not really the greatest looking move for a guy that doesn't weigh as much as Earthquake did. He was tipping the scales at probably about 360, 400 pounds. But Beefcake's going to own it because in our next match, he is facing Tona Gurria. And it's Vince and Moscow on commentary. I remember that because those same kids that were so enthusiastic in the Big John stud match in that arena are just as equally enthusiastic with Beefcake and look like they'd like to be anywhere else other than where they currently are. So he does the big slam on that one and the ref also thinks, oh, he's taking it home. One oh, he's not. Let me get back up. No one saw that. And once again, Beefcake does the off-the-ropes earthquake sit-down move and it looks equally as unimpressive as it did in the last match. But he somehow secures a one tooth angria is left to keep looking for little boys mm, yeah i was i'm never really impressed by the match reviews anyway and the last part of the segment i think it could, could be better i guess i can understand some of them sometimes like okay here's some guys you hadn't seen before so we want to introduce you to them well you just introduced me to the same guy three times you don't have anyone else that was up and coming or someone that maybe we hadn't seen a lot of before you just wanted to keep them in our mind for next week or something so yeah i'm just disappointed in this one for sure it seemed like a wasted spot so i don't know what they were really going for yeah it's not a great way to introduce somebody i mean if you've seen him on the set or something of that nature or maybe he's been someone else's opponent or in a tag match it's doable but yeah it's the first time seeing this guy here's his finishing move go and earthquake slam go 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 no 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 don't jump <laughs> 
I think Vinton said this was one of the few people they've ever seen a physique on him as he is. Very different looking fellow. That word kind of loses meaning as they say it like every episode about every wrestler. I don't really know what the relevance. What a physique. Look at the body. That guy works out. Yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, that's what I hear when you guys say that. Of course he works out, dummy. <laughs> yeah, wants to keep he, his job. He works out every day, wrestling, two, three times a day. Of course he works out. No, he don't. And it'll be a bunch of Paul Vachans. <laughs> Look, if you got upset of lungs like that, you don't need to work out. I'm just saying. <laughs> Just saying. Him and the Russian. Volkov, yeah. Nikolai Volkov. So, what did you notice on this one prior to any other episodes besides the Beefcake Mania going there at the end? Beefcake Mania was my was my main one, the hell? <laughs> kind of <laughs> off the cuff there. I noticed maybe the Iron Sheet got more of a segment than the others. Yeah, it was all over. It was kind of a weird format because we didn't get our first match until like 19 minutes into the show kind of reminded me of Smackdown or something where we're just getting a bunch of talk and segments and then oh yeah this is wrestling let's go to some of that so it's more production as you could say more than anything no action more of hey get to know these people better I think only Slaughter and Smirnoff and Dr. D and Brooklyn Brawler were the only two matches where they started off at the beginning I believe everything else I think was joined in progress I could be wrong with the Billy Travis match that might have been I wonder where Freddie Blassie was on that one. I do not remember seeing Freddy Pelasi manage the Iron Sheik. They did not make a face anyway. Yeah, maybe he was over in Russia with Volkov. Might want to get the feds on that. I think having Bobby the Brain Heaton kind of made up for it. Yeah, for sure. I, he saved this episode because without him it wouldn't have been as great of an episode. And I guess they kind of knew what they were getting since they had him for two segments and they weren't back-to-back segments. Something they don't do too often. But it wasn't horrible. It was good to see Bobby the Brain and his up-and-coming manager days, I guess you could say. We did have a creaky door that we noticed, too, throughout the episode. There was... It's like, really? Couldn't wait until they go to commercial to do that? Yeah, I guess uh, Jimmy Snook, I finally found that door. Maybe that's what it was. They were showing him how doors work just live there on the set. Door. Door. Or maybe that was... Uh, Handle. Brian Blair kicking his buddy out the door. <laughs> Then also something that was back, at least on the feed, was the live camera to record camera bleed over on the right hand side there. We put that on Facebook to make sure that people know that I'm not crazy and that this does happen. But for sure it was when they were queuing up a match or something where the match ended and they were fast forwarding to the end or getting ready to stop it a little bit after what they actually showed us. You'd see it bleed over on the right hand side. Yeah, I can't wait till they fix the production kind of get that screen aligned together if they even notice it yeah i don't think they did maybe on a regular tv it was pretty much lined up perfectly in 4.3 but in today's widescreen formatting and device of your choosing it bleeds over i was watching even some of this one on my phone and you know since it all has to go into that horizontal format on a phone you get the bleed over you probably wouldn't if the apple is able to go vertical but bleed over on any device 
voice pretty much. Maybe that's what they were referring to in the best audio and video quality due to technical difficulties. I assume they couldn't get the audio and everything synced up to the taste technology due to the old technology that kind of had to deal with. There was probably a lot of people moving behind the scenes and that they didn't have to worry about. I'd say for $9.99, put it in that work somewhere all of episode 8 so I can see how bad this is. Let me be <laughs> the judge. I'd love to see the footage that they couldn't put on TV because apparently it was too bad. Or maybe what didn't get recorded during the fire. Yeah. That'd be the only thing I can really think of. We'll see what they put on air sometimes and we're like, really? You couldn't edit that out? So how bad was this that you couldn't edit that microphone out? So looking for new stuff to make fun of next week. We got episode 12 and we're going to have Cheeto Santana. Some people call him Tito. And Mr. Announcer on this episode, Bruce San Martino. And it's been an episode since we've seen Freddie Blassie, so he's coming back. And maybe he can explain to us why he wasn't with the Iron Sheik on his match with Billy Joe Travis. I got a feeling it's going to be the Sheik didn't need me during that match, and he was probably training another wrestler. Yeah, if I didn't know the future, I'd say this would be a good time to set up a feud between his current protege and his former protege from this match that he didn't even want to show up with him but alas that doesn't seem what's going to happen so we won't even tease it what do you want you keep touching my leg episode 11 october 2nd 1984 the tag team podcast remember tell your friends tell your friends friends tell your family tell your friends of your family tell your family's friends to download the tag team podcast Follow us on social media. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the tag team podcast. On Twitter, at tag team podcast. On Google Plus, the tag team podcast. Email us at the tag team podcast at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail on the tagline. 6016544 tag that's 6016544824. You can also listen on SoundCloud by searching the Tag Team Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Tag Team Podcast. Join Jeff and John next week as they continue to break down WWF Tuesday Night Titans. Stand up. Dance for that American man. Show him about your dance. How you make the chic happy his pleasure time and his relaxing time.